as we study together in Psalm 73. Let me start off with questions in our, in our message this afternoon. In what areas of your life are you most tempted to envy others? In what areas of your life are you most tempted to envy others? The second question I want to present to you this afternoon is, does living a godly life seem pointless to you? Did you hear that question? Does living a godly life ever seem pointless to you? And I want to speak to you directly in this chapter, those who are professing, those who are, have surrendered their lives and have committed their lives in following Christ as their Savior and Lord. This message specifically for Christians and for those who are not believers, those who are not followers of Christ, you will have an opportunity to respond as well. But for this chapter, I want to encourage, I want to speak directly to those who have confessed and professed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. This past week or last week, I, I texted our church group with some questions. How are you doing with God? What temptations are you facing? And, and how are you dealing with them? How has your thought life been, been this week? Are you consistently living for Christ in your workplace, in your home? Have you been spending regular time in word and in prayer? You see, those questions are for believers. Those questions are, 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 are to help us to get right in track or to analyze our own heart where we are in our walk with Christ today. And we'll see in this chapter and how that really plays out. You see, while focusing on the wicked, as we have read this passage, while focusing on the, on the wicked leads to envy, regret, and doubt, focusing on God and His Word gives us a proper perspective on sin, judgment, and the faithfulness of God to His people. My first question, or my second question that I had, or second question I had was, in what areas of your life are you most tempted to envy others? You know, there are times that, as Christians, you're just tired of living a holy life. Are you? I hope not. That living a righteous life seems pointless to you. That when you see your friends, when you see your family members that are enjoying their life and, 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 and the, it, it seems that they're not having some difficulty, that they're not facing with some challenges or, or, or affliction in their life and, and, and they're wicked. They're far, from, far away from God and, and they do not have a relationship with God and yet here I am. In the midst of all the things that's happening in my life, why God has not blessed me with material blessings and why, why this and why that? You see, we're so focused on, on, on the things of the world. What I want us to see in this chapter is for us to remove our eyes from the world and if you really have a, 
a personal relationship with Christ. That you will keep your eyes focused, fixed upon your Savior Jesus Christ. Because He is everything. He is all things to us. He is more than enough. And you wonder why your life is going in a different direction. Perhaps you, you, you need to get back in the right track. That perhaps your, your heart has been so focused on this pandemic, in all this situation, in all this political turmoil that we're, 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 facing, our, we're facing ourselves in. Perhaps my encouragement to you in, in this chapter is for you to look within. To look in, in, in God's word and how we need to draw close, closer to Him and not far away from Him. One thing that you'll see in this chapter that deep down in his heart he knows God is good. Amen? And we see that in verse 1. And this psalm is not the doubting of someone who is opposed to God or someone trying to prove God is not good. No, this is the doubting of someone who, who believes God is good. At the same time, the psalmist is honest about his struggles. We will consider this psalm from two perspectives. It's so important for us to see in light of this chapter. Yes, we, we have some struggles, we, we have some difficulties, even in our own walk. We're not walking straight as we want to be. And there are reasons why I text, I text our church in a weekly basis to encourage you to make sure you're walking in the right path. In, in whatever temptations that you may be facing, that you're able to reach out to any of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not to neglect your walk, and not to, to disregard your walk in Christ, but to continually walk in His ways. Yes, Christian life is hard. And we can't be complacent in our walk with Christ, especially in our time today. Psalm 73 opens book 3, from 73 to 89. The author of this psalm is Asaph, as you would see, right on the top, or on the top of verse 1 of your Bible. A, a Levite who is basically serving as a worship leader among God's people. It's important for us to know who this author is, and what role that he has as he was writing this psalm. That he was a worship leader. Asaph authored 12 psalms. Psalms 50, 73, all the way to 83. Asaph was He-Man's brother, and you'll see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 39. Asaph, Heman, and Ethan were all appointed as singers for worship in the tabernacle and the temple in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 16 through 19. So it's important for us to see the background and who the author is. Psalm 73 is one of the wisdom psalms. So the first thing I want us to look at as we understand this book and this chapter, the first thing is that when he sees the wicked in verses 1 through 16. And the second thing I want us to look at is that when he sees God in verses 17 through 28. 
So pray for me. This is 28 verses. I never preach 28 verses in one sermon. So I want us to see this. And then the third thing is that he has two exhortations. Two exhortations. And we'll see that towards the end. So the first part of the psalm gives us the predicament. This problem which is faced by the psalmist, Asaph. He, he looks around at the wicked and he sees them what? Prospering. He, he looks around at the righteous. In fact, he looks at himself and he sees himself weighed down by troubles and he questions the goodness of God. How many of you have questioned God's goodness? You understand what happens? He, he, he looks at circumstances. He, he looks at the display of God's providence and it causes a problem for him. And the question is this, is God really good for his people? See, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulties, when you're in pain, can you shout out, and what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Can you really do that and express that gratefulness before God? Can you really say that God is good in the midst of this pain? I may not have a job today, I may not have a food in my table today, I may not have a shelter today. See, none of us are experiencing that, amen? Praise God! Praise God. But when you turn on the TV, you watch your social media, and you see all these people happening, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their houses, they have nothing to eat. And this is, a, this is hard for us. When we open our fridge, when we open our, our, our pantry, when we look at all those things, we're provided for, amen? Mm -hmm. And yet we got our kids complaining, ah, there's nothing in the fridge. Just open the fridge and get something in there. Cheers. I'm not just talking about the kids, I'm talking about you, amen? Yeah. Yes, you, not me. <laughs> Because I don't do that. I don't complain. I just eat whatever. Not the leftovers. <laughs> My wife will tell me, well, all we have is leftovers. Go eat. I say, okay, I'll, I'll go fasting for the day. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but seriously, though. See, it's hard for us to relate in, in regards to this. We're not in, we're not in this predicament. We're not in this problem. We, so we can't really say that God is good unless you're in a trouble. Amen? So is God really good for his people, to his people? So the second half of the psalm gives us the solution to the predicament, the, the, the problem that he is facing. So we see the problem and now we praise God and he, he, he sees a, a solution to his problem. So verses 1 through 16, when he sees the wicked, of all the hard questions that we can ask, none are more often charged by the tempter, the enemy, to so doubt in our hearts and, and to trouble our minds and question about God's providence over the world. See, when we begin to ask questions like, well, why did God allow that? Why did God do that? Or, or how could that have happened in the world that was created by the good and sovereign God? Or why would this pandemic, this COVID-19, unfold in the history that was being guided by the hand of a God who was sovereign and, and good. 
I'm sure you have other questions in regards to how you look at God when you're in the midst of your trouble, when in the midst of your trials. So one perspective is when he, when this, when Asaph sees the wicked. So his eyes are on the wicked. When he sees the wicked, he's focused on the wicked. And when they're flourishing, when they're prospering, and when he sees the wicked, three things happen. In one, he, in, he envies how they live. So turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this chapter and you have memorized this. You know this from the heart. Psalm 1 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in, in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit and its seeds, and then its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he what? He prospers. That's the believer. That's the one who's walking with God. That's the one who knows and has a relationship with Jesus Christ. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the, wick, that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will what? Perish. But they will what? Perish. They will perish. So there is someone that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will perish. So then you get to Psalm 73, and it's like the psalmist is saying, is that really true? Is that really true? Because when I look around, it doesn't seem true. I envy the wicked. Then to put it into terms and apply in this world today, I want success according to the standards of this world. I want to maximize the luxuries that are available to me in this world. Like I hear this call to radical obedience and I look around me and there seems to be another way, a better way in this world. Even a better way to be a Christian and enjoy the things of this world. This is honest. Just, just see how the psalmist describes those who are disobeying God around him. He, he describes them five different ways. He says they die peacefully, which is in verse 4. They have no pangs until death. They're healthy. They die peacefully. They die with their money. And lots of them. Two, they are blessed physically. Their bodies are fat and sleek. So it's biblical to be fat. You hear that? But well, we meet people who's fat. But here we see that, well, of course, you got to be healthy, right? So their, their bodies are fat and sleek. And it's a reference to how beautiful their lives are. They, they don't experience trouble like others. Verse 5, they are blessed physically. Third, they flourish with pride. Verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. Then the psalmist goes on to describe the pride that they have toward others and even the pride they have toward God. Go down to verse 9, that they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue trucks through the earth. Verse 11, they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Outright pride with obvious Prosperity. 
4, they avoid pain. Verse 12, they are always at ease. And then at the end of verse 12. Number 5, they enjoy prosperity. They increase in riches. They, in, in, in other words, it just keeps getting better and better and better and better for them. He envies the wicked because they die peacefully, they're blessed physically, they flourish with pride, they avoid pain, and they enjoy prosperity. The psalmist envies how they live. Let's stop for a minute and recognize this, right? If you as a believer, you as a Christian, I, I remember someone stopped me a few years ago, right? One of our brothers in our church asked me, Pastor, I mean, I'm living a life, I, I'm teaching Bible study, I'm leading, I'm having discipleship and all this, but, but, but God is not blessing me, God is not prospering me, but when I look at the wicked, when I look at those heathen, when I look at the unbelievers, and look how they're provided for, look how much, I can't even find a job, I can't even have a nice car, I live in this small apartment. What's wrong with that picture? So, there's an attitude of he was envying the wicked. He's envying the world. And he wants some of that. And questioning the goodness of God. I'm sure he's not the only one asking that question. I'm sure that at some point you ask that question and you start comparing yourself with the world. Because your eyes are focused I want, I want the latest, fastest car out there. Lord, why can I have that? Right? I've been faithful. I've been serving you. Right? Lord, I, I want a big house. Right? I, I want eight big bedroom house. Five bathrooms. A pool and all that. You can just have a list. So, Lord, why not providing me? That was my wish list this 2020. But yet, I lost a job. You know what I'm getting at. So he envies the wicked because they die peacefully. So they see that. And then when he sees the wicked, the second thing he does is he regrets how he lives. He, he looks at his own life and he concludes that he has pursued purity in vain. Listen to that. All in vain, verse 13, have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? All in vain. What a statement. But it's a statement that if, we, if we're honest, we can sometimes identify with. Don't you ever think, is it worth it? Right, for, for the young people, for the young ladies, right? I, I, I've been keeping myself pure all these years, but yet I see my friends, I see my cousins, I see they're all enjoying and, and, and having sex before marriage. And it seems to be okay, and they're enjoying it, they're having fun. And, and look at me, Lord, I, I, I'm frustrated, I have no man in my life. Watch yourself. Right? I'm not just talking to the young ladies in our church. Young men. Right? What about the young men in our church today? The young adults in this not just the singles. I'm not just single out the singles. Get it? Single, single out, right? <laughs> I'm, talking about the, I'm talking about the husbands. Well, you're trying to keep yourself pure, but yeah, you, you're struggling sexually in, in, in purity. There's, a, there's something wrong with that picture. 
if you're a follower of Christ and, and, and you have that. So have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? Is it all worth it to be a Christian today? Church, is it worth it to be a Christian today? Are you willing to die for Christ? Whoever sits in, 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 the, in, in the White House, you know, I was just thinking this past week, I said, Lord, if that person that you have, right, and he's an enemy of God, as believers, as Christians, I find comfort in that because this is where we, uh, this is where we grow in our faith. This is where I can have the comfort of being a believer in this country and not be tested of how I stand for my faith. You know, I was sharing with I was sharing with Gabe like, this past this, this past week, and you know, one of the things was that for the persecuted brothers and sisters, you know, one thing that they pray for that they ask that you pray for them that the, the persecution will not stop. Persecution will not stop. That the government will keep on doing and doing so they can preach the good news of Christ. Where in the book of Acts did you see the believers, those who were being persecuted for their faith in the early Christian church? We're asking for them to stop praying that the persecution will stop. Keep it coming so we can worship God, so we can sing and, and see the miracle that God can do. So don't be afraid. Let us not be afraid as a church. We must stand and persevere in light of what the government will do in our faith. We must stand strong. So it's worth it. Is there a real reward in righteousness? Yes, there is real reward in righteousness. God will honor you. God will lift you up. Amen? Yes. Be faithful. Persevere in that. If you're struggling in that area, persevere in knowing that there is reward in righteousness. So Asaph concludes that he has pursued purity in vain and he has suffered constantly in silence all day long, verse 14, all the, all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Not only am I pursuing purity in vain, but in the process I'm experiencing pain all day long, every morning. It's like Asaph knows nothing of Psalm chapter 1. He, he does not feel like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit and its season and all that he does, he prospers. No, 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 he, he feels the exact opposite. Now, I mentioned he suffered constantly, how? In silence. That's important for us to know. Because he acknowledges it in verse 15, and, he, and that he's kept all this to himself. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. This is something that you and I can learn. In other words, when he leads the people of God into the worship of God, he doesn't say to them, what do you think all about this? This is pointless, isn't it? You see that? Again, his job, what was his job in the temple, in the tabernacle? What was his job? He was a what? A worship leader like me. Don't laugh, that's actually biblical. The pastor is the main worship leader. And I want you to see in what he does here, he kept it to himself. He didn't go, look, this is what I'm struggling right now as we're worshiping, as, I'm, as we're leading these people. But no, he kept it to himself. 
This is another place where the psalm is very helpful because it shows a healthy way to wrestle with God or to wrestle with doubts in our hearts. I mean, there are, there are times that it's good to share in private, but not in public. But he does this with his own heart. So get, get the picture. The psalmist clearly, he envies how they live. He regrets how he lives. And then he, and when he sees the wicked, third, he wrestles with how God works. But he wrestles with his faith in a way that's honest between him and God, but not a hindrance to others in their faith. Right? So if you're not careful when you're struggling with your own faith, you can stop, you can encourage that person, you know what, I'm, I'm going the same thing. If you're not careful in how you share your struggle and your doubts before God. That's another way for us to look at this and, and, and deal with this in a way that is honest. He shows us how to ask questions, how to struggle in faith while not pulling other people away from God. Does that make sense? This is so helpful while being so honest, honest in ways that we can identify with. So it's okay for us to ask questions and that's healthy. Amen? But we just have to be careful in who, who we share it with. So that's something that we can see here. So let's be honest, there's much to wrestle with before God. In a world where abortion and sex traffickers are booming and godless leaders are ruling and sinful people, successful people, why does God allow this? Why you see that? You turn on your social media and that's all you get to see. I mean, I don't know if you, and if you turn on the TV at all. So I just say social media all in period, right? This is where all you get all your fake news anyway. Is he not powerful enough to stop this? In what you see, in what you think about this political realm and what's going on in the world, is God not powerful enough to stop this? Is he not just enough to put an end to this? When the psalmist says the wicked, these are the conclusion he comes to. They're, they're prospering, they're thriving. I'm in pain. What in the world is God doing? He envies how they live. He, he regrets how he lives. He wrestles with how God works. But then there's another perspective. And it's a transition in verse 16 when the psalmist says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. How true is that? When you think about how to understand the wickedness of the world and the goodness of God and the prosperity of those who oppose God, such wrestling will wear you out. Right? Can I tell you, can I be honest with you? Right? During the election, I avoided TV, I avoided um, watching and listening, even when my wife was telling me, let's watch the news. I said, no, turn on that TV. Right? I was honest and I was kind of frustrated. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to be around it. Right? So we watched and tried to wait for the results, this and that. Nothing happened. That's right. That's why I turned off the TV. Nothing's going to happen for the next 24 hours. I've been there. Right? It's just going to frustrate you. So I, I said, I just walked away and went upstairs and, and just read my Bible and, and just prayed. I said, Lord, deal with my own heart. 
I was here during Clinton era, because I'm old, right? I was here during George Bush's era. Well, not that I was like 1990. Well, I was in 1990, so yeah. So I reached that period, right? The Obama period, right? And all these things. You see, a lot of people, even believers, spend so much time in, 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 in trying to prove their point. Or rather, let's proclaim the gospel. Because no matter who's in the seat, God reigns. God is in control. Amen. See, when you stop looking at the troubles of the world, and when you really spend so much energy and time, guess what happened? What happened to you? You're exhausted. Do you even stop and think, why am I arguing with this stuff so much that I have not spent time in the Lord? Do you get me? Because that's, that's my burden for us as a church. What I read out there, they're, they're so out there in what they post. And, and, and yet, where's, your, where's the Bible verses? Where's, what are you in regards to that? I know we're not done with politics. I'm still not watching the news. I'm reading my Bible. I even try to avoid my Twitter feed because that's all I see from other believers too. They argue, bicker with one another. This and that. Right? See, church, let's go back to our own heart. That when you truly understand the goodness of God, your perspective will change. It's like a church such wrestling will wear you out, will tire you out. Until, underline that word, right? In verse 16. But when, I turned, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. This, it seemed to me, right? Look at what he does. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Verse 17. You see that? That's good news. Right? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. You see... He spent so much time categorizing and, and making a list of, of how he envies them and how the wickedness and all these things. He, he, he sees everything. Because why? He, he spent so much time. Can you relate to Asa? And in verse 17, and everything changes. Do you hear me? Right? You may not be seeing, you may not be in the same boat as ASAP, right? You may not be looking and focusing on the wicked of the world and how they're prospering and how they're living life to the fullest and enjoying life, even with their mask on, right? They're going to the beach, they're going to do this, they're enjoying all this, and they're going all out. They're still, right? They're not affected with, with this pandemic, right? So when, when you look at this chapter, and you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I can't really relate what Asaph is doing. What about in your own trials? When you're focused on your difficulties, when you put so much effort, and why this God, why that God, whatever it may be, 
until I went into the sanctuary. So re replace one through 16 in whatever trials, whatever troubles that you find yourself in, and then verse 17 make it like until, until. It's kind of like in the New Testament in, in Ephesians, it's, but God. I love that. You, you read the whole chapter, and, you, and all of a sudden you see a verse, but God. Because huh? I know God is in control. He saved me from my sin. So there's that one perspective. And the second perspective, he sees the wicked right now. He sees God. The focus is all totally different in verses 17 through 28. So when the psalmist goes into the presence of God, the, the sanctuary of God, amidst all of the questions he has in this world, when he goes into the presence of God, everything is still the same. No? What did he say? Everything changes. Everything, his entire perspective changed. It's kind of like, you know, you're, um, for the husbands, right? When you've been listening, you've been, your wife's been trying to tell you do this and do that and been telling you, babe, this and they're trying to sweet talk to you and like, or even at times like they're, they're mad at you now and then, then what happened? Right. Until you listen to your wife, right, then everything changes. See? So I'm not saying that they're right, or always right. <coughs> it's like she that just listened to me in the first place. Kind of like that, right? Look, look at this, because everything changes. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. I love that. I, you can just camp on this, and meditate on it, and chew on it all night. What's, what's the key there? What happens when you're in the sanctuary? You worship God. I want you to stop and just pause. When you're worshiping God, when you're focusing on who God is in your life. You worship God. You come to the sanctuary, you read his Bible, you, you sing songs, and, and you worship God. When was the last time you had an amazing time of worship just by yourself? And then you come to the church like, man, this is awesome, I get to worship God. Psalm 100 reminds us what? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now maybe some of you have come and sin frustrated with sin in your life. Burden that you're in trials or affliction in your life that no one knows. But you're here. Because God understands. Because God sees. Or even those watching online. See, what is worship called in the Bible? It is called a lot of things. One of them is what? Drawing it to God. Right? I mean, I just want to sing. If I can sing right now, if I, if I just have this ability to sing well, I'm going to sing to you, like, draw near, right? I, I was out, then I can't sing, so I was just listening to uh, Shane and Shane, right? The, the, vintage, the vintage album, and it was just amazing. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to blow it out. I'm just going to, I'll just, ah, right? Draw near to God. Now, what was the first principle that we learned in verse 1? That, that, that God is good to whom? To Israel. 
So what did he learn in drawing near to God? He tells us in verse 28, and we'll see that later on, right? That God himself is the, is the good to Israel. When he draw near to God, he suddenly realized that God is the goodness that cannot be taken away from those who are committed to God. For those who are committed to God. God is the goodness that cannot be taken away from those who are committed to him. You see, church, you, you, you could probably say this. You can take my house away. Right? You can take away their houses and their families away. You can take their friendships away. You can take their livelihoods away. You, you can take their lives away. And you cannot take God away from them because He is the good of His people. And it's right there in the worship service. And then suddenly dawns on this man, Asaph. And what dawns on him is that the wicked never experienced that good. You see what I'm talking about? You see... Yeah, they may have those things, they may have material bless blessings and all those stuff, right? They may accumulate all those, the, the, the amount that they have in their bank accounts and, and however big their house is. But you know what? They don't know how good God is. They cannot worship God. They cannot proclaim God that when they have stuff, when their bank account is overflowing. They're not going to say God is good. They're not going to... They're not going to honor and worship God. Who does that? <coughs> we do. We thank God. Even for the little things that we have. Amen? Mm -hmm. So they may have bigger houses, bigger bank accounts, bigger cars, more land, and more fun as the world estimates it, but they don't have one goodness that matters. Fellowship with the living God. Do you have that? Church, I'm asking you a question. Do you have that? Yes. Do you have this kind of fellowship that I'm talking about? Communion with the living God. Remember my questions in the beginning? Newness to the living God. Can you testify to that? I might not have a lot of things compared to what the world tells me that I should have, but you know what? I, I, God is near to me and God is, is with me. Because when I die, I'm not going to be able to enjoy those things, right? Mm -hmm. Your kids will fight for it if you have any. Your relatives or even the government will try to take, away from, take it away from you. So they may have all that. But you know what? I want to encourage you. This, how important this fellowship with God is in your life. So when he sees the wicked, he envies how they live. When he sees God, though, here's what happens. He remembers their future. Look at that. Until I went to the sanctuary to, of God, then I descend their end. See, we're so focused on what they have. It's like, you know what? Mm -mm. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 1. Right? What's going to happen to them? Okay. And that, change, that changes everything. So he's looking at the wicked and he's thinking, everything there is good and he remembers their future. 
he knows, verse 18, he knows that God has sent them in the slippery places. And God will make them fall to ruin. In, in, in a moment, he says, he says in verse 19, in a moment they will be destroyed, swept away utterly by terrors. Now, like a dream, he says, this is great imagery. You, you and I have dreams that seem so long and so real sometimes that we wake up and realize it was only a second and it's gone. It wasn't real. It was never real. That's the way of the wicked. There, there are ghosts. <coughs> Seeming delight in men. <coughs> Turn with me to you. First Corinthians 6. First Corinthians 6. Right? Their end is futile. 
right? We see this. They will be destroyed. So remember where that road's headed. See, look in, in verse chapter 18, verse 4. See, see God and see what the what, what their road is, where they're headed. And, and then in Revelation 18, verse 4 says, Come out, out of her, my people. God says, Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. What is it about seeing God, that, about coming into the sanctuary of God, that causes the psalmist to remember the future of the wicked? And I don't want us to miss this. What the psalmist sees is the justice of God. It's here in Psalm 73. He says indeed that God is not asleep when it comes to abortion, the wickedness of the world, the sex trafficking in the world. God is not asleep. He's not asleep at all. And he's not asleep when it comes to sexual immorality of any kind in this world. He will rouse himself and he will assert his justice. God God's doing everything here. You set them in a slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. You rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. See, when the psalmist is God, he remembers their future. And then he realizes his foolishness in verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. And what's the best translation for that? I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like a beast towards you. It's like he steps back with a whole perspective and thinks, who do I think I am to be qualified to question the judgment of God? What was I thinking? Questioning the goodness of God, the commands that have given me in his word. Right? So now he goes back and, and now he, he starts analyzing himself and where he, where he was. It's so important for us to realize when you are asking those kind of questions to God, you need to stop and think. You need to consider what kind of questions you're asking and really just step back. Who are you to question a sovereign God? It's like, and he says, look, it's like an ignorant animal. It's the language that he uses here. There is some, there's coming a day when we're going to wonder how we ever thought, says, I don't know, I don't know, and we're going to realize his word is, is good. The whole goal is that even now, my prayer is that you'd see God and that you realize the foolishness of questioning the commands of God. You're going to realize the foolishness of envying the ways of the world. You're going to realize this is foolishness, right? So you need to stop asking that kind of question and just really see, see God for who He is in your life. And third, when He sees God, He rejoices in God's faithfulness in verse 23. In verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. That's beautiful, amen? He sees God's faithfulness. How many of you are seeing God's faithfulness now? Starting here in verse 23, the rest of the psalm is a poetic masterpiece. It celebrates the majesty and mercy of God. What I love about the way this psalm ends is how the fullness of pleasure, wait, that's like last week's message, the pleasure forever. In Psalm 16, the 
the experience here by the psalmist at the end far, far outweighs the pleading prosperity of the wicked described in the first part of this psalm. The psalmist is saying, here's a real joy, and here's a real pleasure, here's a real delight. Now, if you go back to Psalm 1, now he's saying Psalm 1 is amazing. <coughs> Excuse me, Psalm 1. <coughs> Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So Psalm 1 is absolutely, ultimately true. Listen to how Asaph described the faithfulness of God in four ways. He says, one, God grasped him. Nevertheless, verse 22, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You can find comfort in that, amen? Look at that in verse 23. That's amazing. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. How many of you can say that? In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your affliction, you can say, God is with me. He's continually with me. He, he, he never left. But sometimes you feel like he left you. And he's, but the Bible says he will never leave me, nor what? Forsake Yes, your, your loved ones forsake you, or forsaken you, or will leave you. But God will continually be with you. I mean, what a, what a picture here. God holding Asaph's hand. Just think about that. Right? I mean, how many of you husbands you love to hold your, your, your wife's hand, your wife's hand, right? When you're just like, you know, especially in public, right? You're probably trying to grab your, your, your wife's hands, like, go away. Right, my hand is sweaty. Don't, don't, don't hold my hand. Right? I know my daughter does when we're driving, when I'm driving the car, she's in the front, hold hand, right? She's like, hold hand? And I was like, at times I don't feel like holding her hand, I don't think I can hold it. So it's kind of like that, that the picture of a father, our heavenly father, is, it is there with us. You hold my right hand, right? If you're left, it's okay, you still have one, you still have a right hand, right? God is holding you. You know what I'm talking about, like God is near, that like God is with us. It's, it's an amazing thought. I mean, he grasped you. God is here with us. He grasped you. I'm continuing with you. You hold my right hand. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. Right? What did we learn from last Sunday? In regards to God's counsel. Even at night when I'm sleeping, what does God do? Right? He counsels me. You look at verse 24 again, right? God guides him. He guides us. You guide me with your counsel. Don't, I mean, don't you love that? I mean, in, in this life, in the confusion of this world, you don't always know what to do. You don't always know what is best. Maybe it's small decisions. Maybe it's big decisions that you've got to make. And you look for counsel from the people around you, which is good and wise, but even better to look for counsel from God and, and to find it, for God to counsel you the way He promised. The Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us, described as a counselor, that He, he, he comes along us. He is our great counselor. 
God guides him. God grasps him. God guides him. Third, God will glorify him. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. It, it gets better. You look at that. Right? Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to what? To glory. You receive me to glory. He says, remember the future of the wicked, and now he remembers the future of the righteous. He remembers the future of those who put their hope and put their trust in God. He knows what Jesus will later say in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart. Psalm 73 verse 1, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He will receive me to glory. So ultimately, for the psalmist concludes, God is good to him. I love this verse. Verse 25, Who have I in heaven but you? And I, I could see that, I could say that repeatedly over and over. I love that. Right? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Yes. Yes. How some more? Yes. I mean, what a turnaround, right? Here's the psalmist whose feet had almost slipped and whose steps had almost stumbled when he perceived the wicked, but now with new perspective, new eyes, he concludes. Right? In verse you and I need to learn that lesson in the deepest possible way. For if we learn it, all life will be transformed, or we'll find ourselves always content in God. Remember that heaven and earth will pass away in Matthew 24, verse 35, but those who know God and do His will will abide forever. In two exhortations, as we close. And here's the word of God to you and I. Trust in God's goodness. This is the word of God to you even right now. Trust in the goodness of God in a world where you are besieged by sin, greed, and worldliness. Trust in the goodness of God. His presence is good. It is good. Trust that it is good to be with God. Right? Isn't it amazing when I'm saying that to be in His presence is good? Right? I, I sense that when we are gathering, right? when we have fellowship with one another, I can sense the, 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 the presence of God, the goodness of God. And His word is good. His word is good. His word is for our good. It is for our good. Trust in His goodness. Trust that it is good to listen to God. So don't be cruel and ignorant before God. Don't, don't buy into the deception, the lies in the world around you. It's good. It's good. It's good to be near God. But yeah, you can say, you know, it's so good to be watching my latest show right now. The moment I'm done with this church, I'm going to run and I'm going to turn into my latest show. Because it's so good. I can't wait. It's just so good. Right? It's like that feeling, right? When you go to a, a certain store, a certain place, 
It's so good right now, I'm, I'm waiting for this latest stuff. Right? I mean, it's so good to be with you. Right? When you, you remember when you were dating, you can remember and how you like react to that. And it's like, oh, it's so good to be near you right now. I can't wait for us to see each other again, just to embrace one another. I can't wait so good just to hear your voice. Right? Sometimes I'll call my wife and say, you know what? I'll just call. You love me? Sometimes I go to other places just to have a, 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 a more of an intimate time with God. And I look forward for those times. Right? And I need it for my own soul. Right? So twice a month I will go to the beach. That's my favorite spot. That's my spot. Right? I'll go to different places, not just in Laguna and not just in that one spot. But you know. It's so good. Right? I, I prepare myself, I prepare my heart just to meet with God. And, and, and sometimes I, and I wake up early morning, I'll, I'll, sometimes I wake up at 4 or 5, and it's like, Lord, I, I'm driving, I'm going to be there at 6, right? And I want to catch the sunrise, but, but the sunrise is not there, so I get to go on the other side, right? Sometimes I go to the mountain, to Mount Riverdale, and just catch that glimpse, right? And, and that, that's my moment. It's all good. And I said, uh, this last few days, I've been taking pictures of my uh, window, right, in my bedroom window, and, and I didn't realize the sunrise is right there, right? So I've been taking pictures of it, and I was like, and, and I've been, well, I woke up, was it Friday? I said, Lord, thank you, it's Friday. I opened the window, and my wife said, close the window. I'm still sleeping, right? Man, when I open it, and, and I see the sunrise, and I go back to Lamentations 3, 23 and 24 and just worship God. His mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So those, 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 that's what I'm talking about, that, that, that moment to be near God, to be with God and to listen to God. Purity is not in vain. Purity is never in vain. For the pure will see God. Now this, this presents a, a problem for us because the reality is that none of us are perfectly pure. Our, our feet have all slipped. Our, our steps have all stumbled. We all we have all turned aside from God and His Word to the ways of this world. And as a result, we all deserve the destiny of destruction. Then who among us can stand before the holy justice of God? My beloved, this is not a group of, you know, like, we're, we're not a perfect people. Right, for those who are watching online, right, you've been following us. We're not perfect people at all. We sin. We, we, we say things that are not supposed to be said. We, we're not, we don't believe that we are better than the people around us in the world. I don't. We know we, we, know we are sinners. We, we know we have followed after the ways of this world with the most wicked of them. Even our self-righteousness has been just as wicked as others' self-indulgence. We are a church full of sinners and we all need whom? Savior. Amen? Yes. 
And the good news is that God has provided one, and He has provided a way for you, and He's provided a way for me to be saved from our stumbling, to be saved from ourselves, from our sin, to escape the, the, the just judgment we are due before God. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, to live a life of perfect purity, to live the life we could not live. Jesus' feet never slipped. Steps never stumbled, and yet he also came to die the death we deserve to, to die. See, that good news is not just for, for those who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord. Remember earlier on I made a statement that let me speak directly to the believers. Right now let me speak to the unbelievers. Like I said, we're not perfect people. Right? If you've been coming here and you don't have a relationship with God, be right with God. We're all sinners here. We all make mistakes. But don't use that as an excuse. Just to sin away. Right? I mean, the reason the cross is a central symbol of, of our faith, of Christianity, is because the, the God has put out all His just wrath upon His Son for our place. So that you and I might be saved from our sin. And God has raised him in, in victory over sin and death, so that everyone, everyone who turns from themselves and their sin and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord can be reconciled to God forever. So I want to invite you, if you're not there in your relationship with God, if you have not acknowledged, acknowledged Christ, if you have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, acknowledge Him now before His glory. You, you need to turn away from your sin. And, and, and you need to turn away from yourself and to put your trust in Him alone. To see His hand of grace reaching down into your heart, even right now at this very moment, to take that hand. For all who do and for all who have, to rejoice in this, to rejoice in God, to take your focus off the seeming prosperity of the wicked in this world and to fix your gaze on the presence of God who is in this, over this world. The church, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we need to rejoice in Him, in the God who is continually with you. The God who guides you, the God who will guide you where? To glory. And the last thing that you see there is that I have made the Lord God my refuge, not so that I may hide in my hide it never ever ever come out. It says, I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell all of your works and it makes sense, right? When once you have the right perspective of God, you can sit back and in, in silence. There are people around you living for phantom pleasures that are here only and gone the next. They believe the way of this world is good. But you know, you know that it, it is not. I mean, you know where that road is headed, so how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them where the, where the road is headed? We need to tell our friends, we need to tell our neighbors, the nations, that, that God alone is good. That God seeks and God satisfies. Tell them, whereas the pleasure of this world will pass in a moment, the goodness of God will last forever. It's the greatest news in the world, so tell others about God's goodness, about God's greatness. We have the responsibility as a church 
as a body of believers, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to what? To proclaim the good news of Christ. Proclaim Christ and make Him known. Be about that. Be focused on that. Be sold out on that. Not the other things that will pass away. Any human being that you want to uplift and, and, and put up there in a pedestal, those people will die. I will die. But here, we, we need to tell the greatest news. Again, church, if you do not know Christ, you must repent of your sins. So, so as a believer, as a father of Christ, we need to tell about the greatness of our God. I don't know where you find yourself right now, the, the temptations you are struggling with, the sin where you may have slipped, and the questions you may be wrestling with. But regardless of where you are, I'll urge you now, based on the Word of God here in chapter 73, trust in the goodness of God, trust in His goodness, trust in His Word, trust in His presence, that His presence is good, trust in the goodness of God and tell others about His greatness. See, you need to see Him. You need to take your eyes off from the world. Take your eyes off that today and take your eyes on Him and fix your eyes on Him. And when you do, you'll totally have a different perspective. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says to us, Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the perfecter of our faith. You see, we just need to, perhaps today, I'm not sure where you are in your walk with God, like I, like I said. Fix your eyes on Christ. Not on the things of the world. The things of the world will fade. Heaven and earth will pass, but the word of God will remain forever. Fix your eyes on Christ. Amen?